Um, a while back, the Greens uh, gave my family a kite, and it's the biggest kite I've ever seen. If, if you've ever been across town and seen a, a giant uh, purple octopus hovering like it's going to gobble up our town, that, that was us out flying the kite. And, and usually in Sweetwater, we have plenty of, of, of wind, you know, to get a flight off the ground. But if you've ever tried to fly a kite and there's not much wind, you know, with that, that struggle of like running around, looking, looking foolish, running around, and, and like every now and then you'll kind of jump up in the air and throw the kite, and it just kind of like crashes down. Uh, no kite flyers in the room? Okay. Um, well, that's what happens. Um, but when you catch wind, uh, man, that kite will just soar, and it will fly, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. And, and, and that's something that we know about here in Sweetwater is wind. Um, I'm, I'm not an expert on uh, wind energy or uh, uh, how wind turbines work, but I'm pretty sure, I'm totally sure, they don't create wind. They capture wind, right? So when I first moved here, I had some people tell me, yeah, we hadn't had any rain because those wind turbines have blown all the rain away. Pretty sure that's not how it works. I'm no scientist, but I don't think that's how it works. But they don't, they don't create wind. They capture wind, right? And, and, um, and then they convert that wind into electricity, which empowers and benefits all of us. And so wind turbines have a mission, right? Uh, and they have a purpose. And they're empowered for that purpose. And when they fulfill their purpose, other people benefit. And, and the thing I would like us to hear today is that, that, and we hear this a lot, you have a purpose, we have a purpose. Um, and as, we're, as we catch the wind of God's Spirit, as, as the wind of God's Spirit fills our sails and catches our turbines or whatever you want to, uh, flies our kite, whatever, as we, ca- as we catch the, the power of God's wind, um, other people benefit. When you fulfill your purpose, other people benefit benefit. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read that amazing story of here's the early believers um, in, gathered together, crying out to God uh, in, their, in their confusion after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And they're crying out just because Jesus said, if you'll hold on, if you'll pray, something good's going to happen. I'm going to send the one I promised. And then the whole place where they're gathered is shaking and there comes a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And, and, and the wind fills the early church's sails and empowers them. And, and, and the spirit comes and, and bears witness to Jesus and makes, uh, transforms these scared uh, believers into witnesses for Jesus. Um, and, 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 and we have both a purpose and we have a problem. Our purpose is to make a big deal out of Jesus with our lives, whether we're moms or dads or grandparents or preachers or bankers or, 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 or homemakers or, uh, or uh, farmers or whatever it is that we do, our purpose through that avenue is to make much of Jesus Christ. But we also not only have a purpose, we have a problem. And our problem is the problem that Paul laid out in Romans chapter 7, where we were, where we were last week, that problem of getting tangled up in sin. And getting on that treadmill of trying to do life our own way and working really hard but not getting anywhere. And then even when we do try to do things uh, right, we end up stumbling back into the old patterns. That constant battle with the power of sin and death. We're running around. Our problem is, in Romans 7 terms, we're running around trying to fly our own kite. We're trying to make our own wind. We're trying to spin our own turbine and we're not getting anywhere. We've got a purpose We've also got a problem, and what I I think we can see today from Romans chapter 8 is that the Holy Spirit is God's solution to our problem, God's answer to our problem, and God's empowerment for our purpose. The Holy Spirit is God's answer to your problem. 
The Holy Spirit is God's answer to that problem of, man, I wish I could get delivered from this merry-go-round of sin. The Holy Spirit is also the empowerment for you to make much of Jesus, which is your purpose, day in and day out. And so back to Ezekiel 37, that passage that we read that just a powerful piece of of scripture, that picture of, of dead people being brought to life by the power of God's spirit. Again, the problem with the dry bones isn't that they needed more self-esteem. It wasn't that they needed a life hack. They needed new birth. They needed uh, new life. They needed uh, to, to, to be raised. They needed resurrection. And, and the human problem, Paul's laid out, laid out through Romans 1 through 7, the human problem is spiritual death. We're just Spiritually, we're just like those dry, dusty bones. Of, of, of Ezekiel's valley. And the answer to that, God's answer to that, is new life in Christ. And so as we turn the page from Romans 7 to Romans 8, there's this whole change in tone. Romans 7, a little bit of a downer, okay? Uh, just over and over, Paul's saying, and I, uh, the law's good, nothing wrong with the law, it's great, but I'm weak, I'm sinful, and the law wasn't enough to rescue me. Actually, the law heaped even more sin on me because it showed me sins that I wasn't even aware of. And then he says, he says the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I, I keep doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And, and Romans 7 uh, describes that, that a way of trying to please God apart from the empowering, life-giving presence of the Spirit of God. We turn the page to Romans 8, and Romans 8 shows us what life can look like when the Spirit of God takes residence, when the Spirit of God rules our lives, okay? Will we still be tempted? Will we still struggle? Will we still fall? Will we still fail? Yes, but sin doesn't have to be our master anymore because we don't live in the sin zip code anymore. We live in the grace zip code now, okay? And so let's just read those first four verses of Romans 8. Uh, 8, 1, and 2 are our memory verses for this week, but really, man, if you can, if you can memorize that Conway Twitty song, all the kids are singing Conway Twitty now, right? Okay, um, and if you can memorize that Garth, if you can memorize that, uh, uh, you know, Old Town Road, whatever, we can memorize the first four verses of Romans 8, okay? Beautiful truth here. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that therefore is Paul's way of answering his whole argument that has spanned from Romans 5 all the way to Romans 8. Back at the end of Romans 5, Paul said that we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. And we come into this world united to Adam, and we replay the sin of Adam over and over and over again, and that's our main problem, sin. And Paul defines sin back in Romans 1 and 2, not just as breaking the rules, but as this inner disposition of being hostile to God. Paul defines sin as that trading the truth of God for a lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. It's this bentness towards my way. Uh, doing life on my terms. And, and the verdict on, on sin is pronounced at the end of, 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 of Romans 5. In 5.16, we read that if we're united to Adam, we share in Adam's condemnation. God condemns that, that, that sin of Adam, and we've all joined in it. We've all replayed it. And in Adam, another way Paul says that is in our flesh... Flesh isn't meaning our skin, but it's that inner disposition that's hostile to God and opposed to God. In Adam, or in our flesh, what's true of Adam is true of us. 
But Paul says while we experience condemnation in Adam, we can move out of the Adam zip code and we can move into the Jesus zip code and we can experience justification through the work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. We can be justified. We can be made right with God. We can become part of God's people. And that means that what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. It's an amazing exchange that Paul's told us about. And, and, and as a result of that, he said in, in, in Romans 6, put to de- consider your, yourself as dead to sin, alive to God. Baptism's the picture of that. Romans 7 describes that ongoing struggle of, and how we keep trying to please God on our own terms and apart from God's spirit. We're on the treadmill and we're working really hard and we're not going anywhere. And then he turns the page to chapter 8, verse 1. There's this whole change in tone. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is really good news to the person that's really gone through the struggle of Romans 7. No condemnation uh, for, for a lot of us is kind of like, well, yeah, of course God doesn't condemn me. I mean, you know, I'm a great guy. He's a good God. You know, wh- why would I be condemned? But the thing is, we only see the good news of this when we've wrestled with this problem of sin. When we've seen sin for the ugliness that it is, when we've, we've tried and tried to break ourselves out of it and we can't, and, and we see our own utter just desperation and we say, who's going to deliver me? Oh, Jesus wants to deliver me. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's good news for someone who's thought about the power of sin and the pull of sin in our lives, okay? And so he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death is that process described in Romans 7, being stuck just on the merry-go-round or on the hamster wheel or on the treadmill of sin, just doing the same things over and over and over again. The law of the spirit of life is what happens when God's word, God's law, is accompanied by the power of God's spirit. Another word we could use for the law of the spirit of life is the word gospel. Another way to say what Paul's saying is that the gospel sets you free from being ruled by sin and death. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened as it was through the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. When it says the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul's not saying that Jesus just appeared to be human. He is fully human, but he's saying that Jesus is fully human, but yet without sin. Jesus did not share in our sin, but he fully shares in our humanity. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. And we'll get to verse 4 in just a moment. Just a couple of things uh, from, from these couple of verses. One, the old covenant Paul has showed us so far could not give the life that it offered. It painted a picture of life with God, but it could not deliver us. It could not rescue us. It could not get us out of the, um, the, off of the treadmill because our flesh was weak and because sin was so powerful. All the law could do was make us even more aware of the penalty that we deserved for sin. And so apart from Christ, we stand condemned before God as lawbreakers. We're like Adam in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, just like, okay, uh, blaming and ashamed and, and afraid and guilty. And then he says, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. How did he do that? Verse 3, he did what the law could not do. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So God doing for us What we can't do for ourselves, that's grace. And God's grace looked like Jesus coming to us and living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserved to die, and then overcoming death and sin through the resurrection. 
God did for what we could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. For sin is this idea of Jesus is our sin offering. All through the Old Testament, the people made offerings and sacrifices for sin. And Paul's saying that Jesus is that once for all offering that pays the penalty of our sin. Um, and kind of the idea here is that Israel is God's special chosen people. Kind of bore, they kind of bore the sin of the world. And they viewed that as part of their, as part of their role, part of their calling. Um, and, and, and sin kind of heaped up on Israel because they had the law, they had this revelation of God, and yet broke the law. And so, uh, so they end up kind of bearing this huge weight of sin. It's like the magnifying glass is just magnifying God's wrath on top of this people. And then Jesus, as the faithful Israelite, as the true Israelite, he carries the sin of Israel and the world. And on the cross, all the sin of Israel and all the sin of the world is focused in the person of Jesus Christ. And he makes the once and for all offering for sin. And and, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So we're tempted to believe that the gospel means that God suddenly doesn't care about sin. We're tempted to believe that the gospel means that God doesn't condemn sin. We're tempted to believe that the gospel means that God is suddenly the Easter bunny. But that's not what the gospel means. The gospel is that God does condemn sin, but he condemned sin in the person of Jesus Christ so that you and I would not have to experience the condemnation that we deserve. That is gospel. That is good news. And a person who grasps that walks away from that encounter with God changed. So imagine you're flying down the highway and Jeff Myers pulls you over. Jeff, sorry to out you as, you know, but Jeff, Jeff's, say Jeff's having a really, a really good day. And he walks up and he says, you know what? You were going 20 miles per hour over the speed limit. I really should give you a ticket. But today, you know, mercy. And before Jeff gets back to his patrol car, you, you spin out, you peel out all the way down the highway and you're going 80 miles an hour again. Would you say that you've adequately grasped mercy? Or have you fundamentally misunderstood it? I think about Jesus and, and the woman caught in adultery. They bring this woman to Jesus and, and, and all these people are ready to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And he says, let the one who has not sinned cast the first stone. Everybody drops, drops the rocks and they walk away. And Jesus says, is there no one left to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. And he says, go and sin no more. He pronounces this word of pardon but he's clear that pardon, no condemnation, isn't a license to go sin. It's freedom from sin. I love the picture in, in Les Mis, our favorite book and movie and musical, where Jean Valjean, he's this uh, criminal that's been released from prison. He served 12 years, I think, hard labor uh, for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his hungry family. And after all these years, he's released from prison prison but he's still really a prisoner because he's got this card that identifies him as a prisoner that means nobody's going to give him a job nobody's going to give him a chance this bishop takes him in feeds him lets him stay with him overnight and Valjean robs the bishop's silverware and he gets a few miles down the road the army catches him the soldiers catch him they bring him back to the, the bishop's house and, and 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 they say hey this guy says you gave him the silverware and the bishop says I did give you that silverware and I'm very upset with you because you didn't take the candlesticks to he gives him the candlesticks and he says to Valjean, I have ransomed you from Satan. He says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. And Valjean's response to no condemnation was he became a new 
man. God's done one better than that. Not only has in Christ he pronounced no condemnation on you, but he's given you and me, if we know Jesus, his very own spirit. So that we walk away from from getting saved, not just with that word of no condemnation, that word of pardon, but with access to the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so that we can put sin to death and we can live a new kind of life. And so what's the point of the gospel? What's the point of of Jesus saying, you know, uh, no condemnation to you? Verse four tells us, in order that, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The, 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 the purpose of that no condemnation verdict, the purpose of Jesus taking our place, the purpose of him being condemned in your place and my place was that we could become people who, who do what God always intended and called us to do, so that we could become the people that God always intended us to be, so that we could be the people that the law wanted us to be, but the law was powerless to turn us into, so that we could become the people who obey God from the heart. That's why Jesus died. That's the impact of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God to turn you into the kind of person that God always intended you to be, a person who loves to honor and obey God. The Holy Spirit is God's solution to our problem and God's empowerment for our purpose. Um, That word fulfilled there in verse four, Paul's gonna use it again in Romans 13, eight, where he says, Love is the fulfillment of the law. The, the gospel means, and the spirit of God indwelling you means that you can become a kind of person who loves God and loves people and love is the fulfillment of the law and the fruit of the spirit is love. We were powerless to love God. We were powerless to love each other, but now God has spoken this word, no condemnation. Jesus has taken your place and he's given you and me his spirit so that you can become, I can become the kind of people he always intended us to be. No longer stuck living in Romans chapter seven, but living in Romans eight, all right? And so let's look at the new life made available by the Spirit. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So these next few verses unpack what verse 4 said. And it unpacks that there's two different ways of living. We can be people who live in the flesh, uh, and that means that our lives are powered by, dominated by, controlled by our fleshly appetites, that twisted nature pointed away from, uh, away from God and towards self. Or we can live in the realm of the Spirit, empowered by, fueled by, driven by, the Spirit of God. And Paul says the person who's in the flesh is always thinking about the flesh. The person who's in the Spirit is constantly thinking about the Spirit. And so what are you constantly thinking about? He says the the, the person living driven by the flesh is hostile to God and cannot please God. You know, um, the flesh person 
is weak and unable to obey God and is hostile to God. And that may describe a person who is just, has just blatantly chosen just obvious sin over God. Being in the flesh may mean that you're just going back to the same sin pattern over and over and over again. Or it may mean that you're super religious and super proud of how religious you are and, and, and you say, you know what, God's word may say this, but that's not what I think. We can be in the flesh and be blatantly sinful or we can be in the flesh and look very respectable and religious. But the flesh person, however it looks externally, is a person who elevates what I think over what God's word says. A flesh person is someone who elevates what I think over what God's word says. So the question is, what's powering your life? What's powering your life? Are you generating your own wind? Or is the spirit of God the wind in your sails? Where are your, where are your thoughts? Where's your mindset? The flesh person might be compared to a sailor out on the ocean. Maybe there's one guy out on one of those big, you know, the big like 1800s era ships that we see in movies. Think, think uh, Jack Sparrow or, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. So there's this sailor out there and there's no wind, no heading, no direction, no power to get anywhere. I don't know where I'm going, and even if I did, I couldn't get there. So the flesh person takes out an oar and just starts paddling as hard as they can, but there's not enough strength to, to, to get that ship anywhere. But then there's this rumble of the wind, and the wind starts to blow. And, and so the, the sailor lowers his sails, and suddenly he has wind, he has power, but not only does he have power, in the words of Jack Sparrow, we have our heading, all right? He's, the wind is going to be his empowerment, and the wind is also going to take him to his destination, and the destination we're going to talk about here in just a little, a, a, a moment. By the Spirit, we have, we have the answer to our problem, that just fruitless striving over and over and over again. We also have the solution to our purpose. He's going to drive us to our destination. He gives us a new heading. Uh, verse 10 and 11 says the Holy Spirit empowers you to new life. He says in verse 10, um, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What Paul is saying is, and this is an amazing promise. This is something we so easily forget and we have to constantly remind ourselves of. He says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And when we're, when we're down and we need encouragement, we gotta remember the spirit of God lives in me. When, we're, when sin is looking so good and so juicy and so nice, we remind ourselves the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, giving life to my mortal body. The spirit of God gives us new life. Um, and, 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 and it's easy to forget that. And we're talking about more than feelings here. If, 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 if we were to name like a classic rock song that describes maybe our relationship to the Holy Spirit, uh, it might be hooked on a feeling. Um, because a lot of us associate the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit with a certain type of feeling. And feelings matter, right? I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I, I care about your feelings. We, we got we to care about it. And feelings do matter. If Sonda told me, hey, Matt, I don't feel anything towards you, that would hurt my feelings, okay? Um, but if she said, hey, I'm not feeling anything towards you right now, but by the grace of God, I'm gonna honor God and honor you regardless of how I feel, hey, now we're, now we're cooking with butter, right? We're getting somewhere, okay? And so 
And so we, like, our relationship with the Holy Spirit maybe is a little bit like our relationship with love. Like we love the idea of love, but we're not crazy about the daily sacrifice and laying down of ourself that love requires. We love the idea of the Spirit of God. We love the idea of feeling really tingly and feeling really good and, and having that, oh, oh man, I'm hooked on that feeling. I'm high on believing, you know what I mean? We love that. But the Holy Spirit is God's power in you to empower you to choose Christ even when you don't feel it. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering to choose Him whether you feel it or not. And there's times, man, we do have the feelings, right? But there's times that we don't. And the Holy Spirit is more concerned with producing fruit in your life than any specific feelings. That's why when Paul wrote Galatians chapter 5, he didn't list the feelings of the Spirit, did he? He listed the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's what the Spirit of God is at work producing in you. Fruit, all right? And, uh, and so if, 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 if the Spirit of God is ruling your heart, His Word is going to be in your mouth, and His Spirit is going to be in your life. If the Spirit of God is ruling your heart, His Word's going to be in your mouth, and His fruit is going to characterize your life. The next thing that Paul writes in verse 12 and 13 doesn't sound anywhere near as fun. Okay, because we, we love the idea of, yes, new life, same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And then what does the spirit do? Verse 12, then brothers, we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He says, don't let the flesh boss you around. You don't have to sin just because you want to. That's newsflash for a lot of us, right? Just because your body wants something, just because your flesh wants something, doesn't mean you got to do it. Um, and so I got to tell myself every time I go rumbling around looking for some ice cream, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, like just because I want it doesn't mean I need to do it, right? You, he says you're not in debt to the flesh. For verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Part of what a Spirit-led, Spirit-ruled life is, it's putting sin to death. John Owen put it this way, hundreds of years ago, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Whatever your sin struggle is, whether it's a sexual acting out or whether it's chasing relationship after a relationship or whether it's some kind of addiction or whether it's arrogance or whether it's gossip, whatever it is, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Justified people stop justifying their sin and start killing their sin. I don't know about you, but I make a great defense attorney for myself and a pretty good prosecutor for other people. You relate to that? We're pretty good at defending our own sin and prosecuting everybody else's. But what the Spirit of God does in us is He will empower you by the Word of God, through relationship with God, through walking with the people of God. He wants to empower you to put sin to death, murder sin or sin is going to murder you. So, um, so one, way, uh, one way that looks is getting our sin out in the open with people, that we, with, with brothers and sisters in Christ that we trust, confessing our sin to one another and praying for one another is one really powerful biblical way that we put sin to death. We don't have to be people who hide our sin. We can be people who, who confess our sin. Um, any, anybody that's ever... 
um, that's ever uh, tried to drop a, an unhealthy habit and replace it with a healthy habit knows that it's harder to pick up healthy habits than unhealthy habits, right? Um, and it takes longer. And so there's some kids out there, maybe you've been seeing the, like the vaping campaigns, and you're like, man, this vaping stuff is really dangerous. I need to go back to regular cigarettes to break my vaping addiction, you know, or whatever. But like, like it, it's hard. That was a joke. But um, it's, it's um, we, we see something that we're like, man, that's really dangerous, or, or, or that's unhealthy. And we, my, uh, there's a, a pastor that I, I respect a lot. Todd Wagner says, God is not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. And when God is nudging us saying, will you lay this sin thing down? Like, don't we just imagine that God's trying to rip us off? But he's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. And, and, and part of how the Spirit of God puts to death sin patterns is we've got to displace and replace old patterns with new patterns. So if you decided to quit smoking, it's not enough just to stop, say, I'm, I'm not going to smoke anymore. You've got to replace that with somebody. I'm not picking on smokers, just an example. You've got to replace that with something else. Maybe you start, um, not vaping, but maybe you start uh, eating sunflower seeds or you start uh, running, you know, hard to run if you're smoking, okay? Um, you replace that habit with something else. And, 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 and as, as you're walking with the Spirit of God, um, as you replace old habits with new, um, that might look like filling your time with, man, with time with God's Word, uh, time with God's people, connecting to a community, uh, connecting to life group, connecting with somewhere to serve. And that's how, by the Spirit of God, we create new habits, new disciplines, and we crowd out the works of the flesh. From our lives, but the opposite also happens. If we're constantly given in to the flesh, then the, the habits of the flesh crowd out the work of the Spirit in our lives. By the Spirit, Paul says, you can put to death old patterns. Old habits can be replaced and displaced, and that's not because God's trying to rip you off, it's because God's trying to, to, to set you free. Moving forward, wrapping up, verse 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit gives you assurance that you belong to God. Paul uses an amazing word, adoption. And he says, part of what the Holy Spirit does is he reminds you that you belong to God. But if we're going to hear that, if we're going to hear that word of assurance, then we've got to turn down some of the noise in our lives. Now, I'll just ask you, what noise is in your life, whether it's the noise of sin or busyness, what noise is blocking you from hearing that word from the Spirit that says, you belong to your Father. He says also the Spirit of God leads us. He says all who are uh, led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And second to the devil, I think the Holy Spirit gets blamed for some really crazy stuff, okay? Like Christians are always saying the devil made me do that. And I think sometimes the devil's like, I wasn't even around when that happened. Like, why, are, why is everybody blaming me? That was you, you know? And also there's things, that was my devil impersonation, if you didn't. Okay, also, clear that up. 
also, there's things that we try to blame on the Spirit that we maybe need to be careful about because the Spirit of God is not going to lead you in a direction that's contrary to God's Word. The Spirit of God is not going to lead you um, in a direction that's in, in, that's in the direction of breaking commitment or breaking covenant. The Spirit of God is not going to lead you to do something that's in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. So, um, so we need to be careful about claiming that the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something that maybe it's just my flesh that wants to do it. Uh, but the Holy Spirit does lead us. And a couple of things about how the Spirit leads us, and this sounds opposite, but there's tension here. The Holy Spirit is predictable, and the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit is predictable, and that the, the place that he's taking you is sure. The place that he's taking each of us is certain, and it's the same. And that place is found in Romans 8, 29. Those whom he foreknew, Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Where is the Holy Spirit taking you? Where is your heading? Where is the wind in your sails carrying you? It's carrying you to looking and thinking like Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is always about in your life and my life, is conforming us to the person of Jesus Christ. Um, that's always what he's doing. And so when things happen that don't make sense and that are confusing and, that are, and when life is a mess and when we don't get it and when it's hard, God's Spirit is still at work conforming you to look and think like Jesus Christ. And so that's predictable. You can count on that. Spirit of God's never going to lead you opposite from the character of Jesus Christ. But the way he's unpredictable is he takes a very nonlinear approach to getting you there. Uh, his approach to getting you to that sure destination, it may detour through lost jobs, lost opportunities, broken relationships. It may lead through death and through struggle and through poverty. For Paul, it even led through prison multiple times. The path God takes to get you to Romans 8, 29 is often very unpredictable, but the destination is sure. Your heading is sure. God is not going to quit until he's conformed you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul's gonna go on to say that we groan. And we're not gonna get to that passage today. Romans 8's a big, marvelous passage. We're only able to touch on it today, so read it, marinate in it, memorize it. Paul's gonna go on to say that we're like, he says that this world is like a woman in childbirth. It's like a woman in labor pains. And we're looking forward to the good that God's gonna do, but right now it just hurts and it's hard. And maybe you can relate a little bit to that. You know, my, I've never given birth to a child. Um, no, that's a surprise. But my wife has, has done this four times. And so never in one of those four times that Sonda was giving birth did I come alongside and say, hey, Romans 8, 28, you know, uh, this is no big deal. Uh, I'm still alive, so that tells you that I, I never demeaned the reality of her suffering. So when people are suffering, God's people don't demean the reality of that. But what God's people can do is we can help one another look beyond the suffering to God is taking you somewhere good. He's going to conform you to the image 
of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Brene Brown put it this way. She said, I went to church looking for a, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the shot that women get in the back? Um, epidural, sorry. Uh, he said, she said, I went to church looking for an epidural to numb my pain. But she said, what I found were midwives who told me just keep pushing, okay? What we're called to be for one another, the church is called to be that people where the pain of God and the pain of the world and our own pain intersect and we just cry out to God and groan to God together and, and we just say, just keep pushing because something good is coming, okay? And Paul closes with saying, he, he began this chapter with no condemnation. He ends by saying, verse 37, And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, or things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. He begins with saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ. He ends by saying there's no separation from God's love if you're in Christ. And everywhere in between, he tells us just to cling to the Spirit of God who gives you the assurance that you know Christ today. The Holy Spirit has got solution to our problem, and he's the empowerment for our purpose. And so as the band comes up, just a couple of applications before we leave. Um, first, and most importantly, um, have you placed your trust in the one who was condemned in your place? Have you heard personally that word from Jesus that you are not condemned anymore? And are you walking in the freedom of God's Spirit? I just urge you the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an element on the periodic table. He's a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person who wants to have a relationship with you. So if you are a Christian, cultivate a relationship with God's Spirit. Um, ask God's Spirit to help you. He helps us, verse, eight, verse 26 says, in our weakness. And so maybe you, we've been talking about who's your one, and you're like, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. Awesome. So that means when you do it, God's going to get the credit for that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit. I can't memorize Romans 8. I can't memorize these scriptures. Oh, you're weak at it. Cool. Romans 8.26 says, He helps us in our weakness. Where we're weak, He's strong. Whatever your weakness is today, we cry out for God's Spirit to help you. Whatever your sin struggle is, we ask the Holy Spirit to remind you you're not condemned and you also don't have to stay stuck in it. Will you set your mind intentionally, daily on the Spirit of God rather than on the flesh? Will you, just catch, will you lower your sails and stop trying to create your own wind and just catch the wind of God and just let the Spirit of God take you to that good destination of Romans 8, 29.